Thank you so much for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name's Sam Moses. I'm with my good friend, Matt Garber. And today we'd like to talk to you about criticism, feedback, revisions, and how you should handle all that like a professional. So Matt, are you ready? I'm ready. So criticism in general, it sucks, at least at first. Nobody likes it. Everybody receives it. And pretty much the key is to learn to spin it and to grow from it. If nothing else, to thicken your skin to pretty much reflect all the other BS that you don't really need to be paying attention to in your life. Right. Sam, what do you think about criticism? So criticism for me over the years has changed. I will explain. When I first started in the music world and people would give me criticism, I would take it so personally and I would think, man, this is a direct attack on all my hard work. Same. And don't these people know that I'm doing everything I can to make this song sound great. And also in this industry, you get criticism way more than praise. That's just like a, a given, unfortunately. And I know Matt and I have talked about that, that, about that before, and we can help change that by telling people what they did well as alongside criticism. So um, I used to think it was all a personal attack, and then as I went on, I learned that if I could spin criticism in a way um, that helped me, then I would be able to wrap projects faster and essentially make my clients happier. So over the last few years, I've really shifted into a place where I have this idea, and I don't know if I created it. I probably didn't create this idea. But to me now, criticism and feedback uh, is essentially my answer key uh, to a test. And so by that I mean when I bring, when I turn in a project to someone, A, I set it up with the idea of like, you know, if anybody's listening and they're my client, they know I say, I don't deliver anything unless I really do think it's great and ready to release. But it's also usually tied into this idea of like, this is in a great place that could be released, but also it's fully open to feedback because I want to yeah. dial it in as close to your vision as possible. And the reality mm -hmm. of music is that it can be done a million different ways. And so if we know music can be created and manipulated a million different ways, then there's probably a lot of different things we can do to it or want to have done to it. Um, and so instead of taking that so personally as an attack on myself when people um, give me criticism now, I view it as like, here are the answers to the test, and if I do these five things that they're asking me to do or two things, then the project gets done, they're happy, we wrap it, it's done, it gets out, and then I can move on to my next project. And mm -hmm. for the first like three to five years, um, criticism was like, and revision feedback time, it was so slow with me because I would try and convince everyone on why I had chosen to do what I did. Mm. And usually the response would be like, <laughs> Yeah, but can you still fix the kick drum? Like, yeah. you know, they'd be like, "Yeah, I hear you, understand you." And really, a lot of the feedback I would get from people, because a lot of people I work with are very nice, they would say things like, "Yeah, it's we're not like questioning whether or not you can if if it sounds good or not. It's like, can you just bump the kick drum up a dB? You know, it's yeah. not like a. Often I would be way too. Um, I guess it's defensive. Um, would probably be the easiest way to describe what it was, as opposed to being, it was way reactive as opposed to being proactive with them. And in this industry, if you want to make it, you have to be super proactive. And when I started approaching criticism and feedback as like, oh, they gave me some notes. If I do these notes, the project's done, wrapped, I get to go to the next project. That yep. saves time, which then saves money. And if you're able to cut off, say, a couple days of each project um, from revision or feedback, you know, over a year, you're freeing up like 50 days or something. I don't even know like yeah. how many days I saved now compared to <clears throat> eight years ago. But it really all starts to add up. And so for me, 
I will always do what the client asks pretty much no matter what so they can at least compare. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Like When you get criticism and feedback, it's your job to do those changes for the artist or client because they are hiring you and paying you. And one of the best ways, like I'm a huge believer in this idea of like the no leads to the yes. Mm-hmm. And so to me, even if they say like, hey, can you bump the low end up on this song? And in my head, I'm going, no way. Like that is going to be so boomy. They don't necessarily know that. It's brand new to them. You know, I'm mastering 10 to 20 tracks a week. They're doing 10 songs every two years, you know, as an artist or something. And so for them to then maybe hear a version with a more, you know, bigger sub low end or something, then they're able to at least, you know, compare and be like, oh, you know what? You were right. You know, your version Mm -hmm. was correct. Corrects a, a moving target, but, you know, like it was more appropriate for the song and what they were going for. So I no longer view the criticism feedback process as negative. I don't view it as a personal attack. Um, it's come from years of like a mind uh, set shift and training myself to when I get feedback or criticism, I pretty much, if I can, I will wait like multiple hours before I respond. I'll just like read it like, okay. Because I'm a human, and my immediate response still is there's some defensiveness to it. Um, Definitely, but I too. yeah, but I put it on pause now, so that helps me a ton. So like for a few hours, I'll just be like, all right, I need to at the end of the day, I'll respond, I'll make the adjustment, and usually at this point, I actually, and this is something that clients really like, is when they send me an adjustment or like a you know a revision or criticism. I will go ahead and make the adjustment before I even talk to them. So I, the next email I send to them is with the new file. And that, to me, there's something about just like getting after their criticism or revisions or notes. And the next, you know, the next time you communicate with them, you're delivering um, them something that's more dialed into what they want. People mm-hmm. really like that. Um, yeah. And they begin to feel very heard, which is really like in a lot of situations, criticism, feedback, and some of the like label stuff I've done over the years. When you have like five or six people involved, like A and R, or like the lead singer's wife, or the management or label, and all these people have something to say, um, you know, it's my job to hear all that and make sure they feel heard. And some of that, you know. Part of that is maybe making a, an adjustment that I don't fully agree with, but at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's never about mm-hmm. me, never about my bias, never about my, uh, my brand, my ego. It's always about serving the artist because the artist is paying me and the artist could go out or label could go out tomorrow and pick from a thousand other people to work with. And that is just the reality of this thing. And so the people that I've watched that have done very well, when they get criticism, um, they approach it in a very proactive way of like, this is going to help me, this is going to help us get the best in product. And if we can do that, then this client will probably come back. And not only that, because people are so poor at handling criticism, um, when you are able to receive criticism and revisions well and and execute that well, the client is going to tell other people that because, mm-hmm. like, the mentoring stuff, like I do, and with like people, and obviously Matthew, you went through it. But one of the main things it's we, awesome if you haven't done it. <laughs> yes, thank you. You need to do it. You should do it. It's fun. It'll help if you're you. on the fence about getting a mentorship from Sam, you should do it. Yeah, it changes your life. Oh, thank you. Um, what was I saying? Oh. One of the main things like I work with a lot of people or that comes up probably other every other person I work with is that like they lose clients because they don't know how to handle criticism and they don't mm-hmm. know how to do revisions well or they have like a three revision policy and I'm like a big believer in no revision policy of like meaning like Same. there's no limit you just we work until you're stoked on it 
And I've found when I switched to that, like that was like six years ago, that not only did I have less revisions, mainly because people don't feel like they have to throw the whole kitchen sink at you because you mm-hmm. limit them to three. So like when you have only three revisions, the first one they give you will in my experience was always like adjust this kick, adjust this, adjust that, you know, move the guitar, mm-hmm. do this, vocals too loud. Well, in reality, when you adjust anything, it impacts everything else. So like, yep. you know, you move the kick drum up or down, that's going to change the way the bass feels. So maybe you actually don't need to move the bass. So I found when I had like a revision policy that I was making the track consistently worse and the client was consistently getting more frustrated. And by the revision three, you know, we had changed 40 things or something. And, you know, this is more like with mixing. But once I took off my revision policy, people didn't feel that, um, that restraint. And so I found people would just be like, hey, uh, can we just bump the vocal up? And that would be the only adjustment. You know, and you would do that, and then like, oh, that's good. Okay, cool. Uh, maybe that bass. Could we change that? And that you to know me, what's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. Sorry for cutting no, you off. No, go ahead. Is that <clears throat> when I took away my revision policy that I originally had, and I think I had like maybe five revisions or something like outlandish. Yeah. Um, when I got rid of mine, I stopped having people say, "Can you do this, 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 and this? Adjust here, adjust here, adjust here." And they actually said, hey, can I send you like a new mix and I'm just going to kind of like do some tweaks now that I hear it at level. Yeah. And that was something new that I hadn't seen before. Yep. And it's not just, it's not just localized to one producer. It's like probably like two, three, or four, may, maybe three are like, hey, can I like send you just a new mix real quick? Now that I hear everything at like full like reproduction and it's not all squashed like I was doing. Yeah. Um, can I just send you a new mix? And I'm like, yeah, so long as it's not like crazy different. Right. Sure. And then I'll be like, okay, kicks a little bit louder. Let's compensate for that. Like there's not another like guitar part or something. Right, right. Like nine times out of 10, they took care of whatever they were going to take care of. And it just goes through and it processes well. Maybe and like, maybe I might need to adjust the gain staging just a little bit. Yeah. Especially if, like, there's a little bit of, like, low-end tweaks. Right. Um, just because there's so much energy housed within the low-end. Yes. That, I mean, it's going to kind of screw with your gain staging a little bit if you don't, like, have some sidechain working going on. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know why, just getting rid of revision policy. It just kind of, like, took care of a lot of problems that I have yeah. had. I just find that it... It creates a better relationship, like starting off with that. And I have never, uh, that's not true. There's been like two, two people in the last eight years where I feel like took advantage of it. And I don't even like the, really the word take advantage because the policy is unlimited. So it's on yeah. me. You know, I, I allow that. So I can't really yeah. hold that against them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've really only had like two instances where it's like, all right, this is this. I don't know if we'll get to the end product you want, you know, based on what we're working with. And that's just a whole different situation. So, mm-hmm. anyway, with that being said, like, you know, being able to see criticism as not a personal attack and see it as like, you know, here's, here's the key to making this client happy, which then will probably lead to more work from them. And then also referral work, most likely. Um, that's the way to look at it. So those are my initial thoughts on it, and what I've learned over the last few years on that. What do you think about that, Matthew? Uh, something just like a weird idiosyncrasy about me. Yes, and it's like I don't know why I do this, but it's always, <laughs> it's always like I'm done with everything, and. I've submitted a DDP everything. And it's like I'm just like there's like a like a waiting period between when you send it and then when like everybody's like over the moon about it. <laughs> Which normally happens, but like in my head I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna hate this. <laughs> and, and it's just like here it comes, here here comes the suck. Yeah. And I don't know why, but in my head that's that's how it plays out. And it's not fair to me. It's not fair to them. Right. It's not fair to 
the amount of work that I just poured into this project over however long it took me to do it. Right. Um, but for some reason, I get into this part. Like, as soon as I push send, I'm like, shit, they hate it. It's like, <laughs> they're going to love it. It's like, it's like they wouldn't have picked you if, you, if they wouldn't have loved it. So it's right. like, like all, this episode should almost be called head games as opposed to criticism <laughs> because most of this junk is in your own head. It's all Granted, head. some of... Yeah, some of this is, however, like, your own fault. And it's like, the, you do need to learn how to take criticism. And you need to, and like, the next part we're going to be talking about is how to how to give it. Um, but, I mean, for me, a lot of it's just like, I feel like a lot of it can be avoided through good conversation. Yeah. And there won't be a lot. And... <clears throat> There was a there was a project today, and I was working last night on it, and I wrapped it up, and but there was this one, uh, there was this one track that had uh, a vocal part that it just sounded like on the side there was like a little bit too much distortion, mm-hmm. and I didn't know if that's what they were going for, and I didn't want that to come back on me. That was me that created that distortion, and. I really didn't know what to think. So uh, I just contacted the artist, like CC the producer, and was like, hey, guys, just want to double check. Uh, on this song, there was a little bit of uh, distortion on the vocal. I'm not sure if that was intended, like, as a creative decision or if that was, like, I don't know, just an oversight. Um, but I just want to bring it to your attention so that... I mean, we can either approve it or we can change it. And it's like, it's nothing personal. It's just, you're right. paying me to listen. Right. And I'm listening, and this is what I hear. And that's why it's kind of difficult. I had another band ask me over this weekend if uh, they could do attended sessions. And that and that's why it's difficult to do attended sessions because half the time, especially the way that I work, is, I don't want to say it like this, but it's kind of like you're fixing things that could not be heard anywhere right. else in the room that you were working in. And so I don't want to say that it's like you're going to be standing over my shoulder while I'm fixing your mistakes. Right. But it's kind of like if you put it in brass tacks, that's kind of what happens. Yep. Um, and normally what I tell them is like, hey, let's do like a listening party afterwards. Um, but while you're paying me and like while I'm on your dime to work and do my best for you, I don't think that I can do that with like – everybody in the room and stuff but let's right. totally do a listening party afterwards like bring beer i don't care but like let's like while you're paying me let's not do that so it's like there's like a little way to like go around all of that were you going to talk about how to give criticism i, I was thinking about that next point though well you kind of began talking about it with the bringing to me like bringing up Things you hear in the mix. I mean, that's essentially criticism back to the mixer and giving that. It is criticism back to the mixer, and I mean, they're they like so far they they handle it really well. But it right. just like you pay me to listen to, um, you pay me to listen to like your hard work, right? And I don't know. I think if I didn't if I didn't say that back to them, mm-hmm. I feel like they wouldn't be getting their money's worth, right? And but it's just like me just double checking because I want to make sure, like above everything else, that these like that their expectations are met to like the highest level. Right. Um, I mean, that's at least the care that I want to give to that. Um, but in general, through uh, my own personal experience, is that if you're not used to giving criticism. Um, musicians, creative people, people who have like literally sunk hours and days and months and years of their life into like a body of work. Yeah. They're not really the best at taking criticism right. on something that is their representation of something that could very well just be interpreted from feelings right. and then put onto paper, canvas, etc. Um so if you're going to work in an artistic, a creative field, I highly recommend you brush up on your euphemisms. Um, euphemisms are kind of like, uh, figure it this way, instead of calling someone uh, who has a disability a cripple, it's like calling them a ha- that they're handicapped, that they have like a handicap. Um, 
And while the word cripple is a more than adequate word uh, for a condition, it's not really the nicest sounding word. Yeah. Um, so that's why they use the word handicapped. Um, sorry if I offended anybody right there. <laughs> but that's why you use euphemisms. Um, so if some, if like you have, and I, 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 if you have like something that I've seen more times than not, say like in a front of house environment, um, that's really where I will see it. Uh, a lot of y'all might see it in studio settings and whatnot. I don't really do uh, studio stuff beyond mastering, uh, but if a guitar player on stage says, "Hey, how's the how's my tone?" and it sounds like junk, I have to figure out a way to now say. Uh, sounds a little bit muddy in the low end. Uh, yeah. Would you like me to handle that on my end or your end? Or, hey, can we check into, like, uh, the brightness? Um, or, hey, would you it could, could we check on, like, the mic placement or something like that on the, on, the, yeah. on the cabinet? Like, just, like, figuring out, like, nicer ways to say something as opposed to, yeah, it's too bright and it sounds like shit. <laughs> it's like, well, that's right. not going to get anyone anywhere. Right. And it's going to kill any vibe of any session or any front of house thing, and it's like you can't you you can't do communication and ha- with like poor communication skills with someone who like say say it is a guitarist. It's like chances are they've invested several thousand dollars into a massive pedal board, mm-hmm. several thousand dollars into a guitar rig, and say if it's in like a, <clears throat> I mean a lot of front of house weekly gigs are church gigs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, say it's a volunteer. It's like, so now you have someone who spent thousands of dollars on a rig and now they're volunteering their time in a place that they're probably not really wanting to be if they've been a volunteer for a long time <laughs> and they don't want to come in on a Saturday night or something like that. And it's like, they could be a little ticked off right. to be there in the first place. And you say that, yeah, your rig sounds like junk. So it's just like you got to figure out a way around that right. and a good way to handle uh, giving that criticism. What you got to say about that, Sam? Well, I think it's spot on. I mean, I, I think it goes back to just the whole idea of being proactive as opposed to reactive. I think that's this whole concept is like telling them they <laughs> suck doesn't move or that their tone is terrible isn't really anything tangible, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, like telling them, "Hey, you know, we need to clean up the low ends or the low mids, or you're, you know, it's too trebly or too there's too much presence in the guitar tone." Like that's something tangible that helps everyone move forward to get to the end the end goal, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's always, I think, that's the thing is like all of music is always a team group effort, essentially. Um, for the most part and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing is like when you're involving more than one person in anything you're going to have criticism, feedback, opinions different ideas, different ways to approach things and um, that's kind of what's great about music is you do get a lot of you get to create things that you wouldn't have created by yourself most likely and it's usually better and cooler and more creative and more fun that way but within that then there's also people that you know, there's criticism, mm-hmm. and I think you know the way I've approached it, similar to that, like with my clients, is when I notice something, it's always, it's always a pres. I always present it in um, what I think is humbly. I guess I hope that's the way mm-hmm. it comes off, but it's it's always with the um, the intention of I could be wrong here. You know, that's yeah. how it's presented. It's I could be totally wrong here, but I hear this essentially, or based on what you described, like what you wanted, you know, we should probably change this or adjust this and see how that sounds. If that moves us closer to where you want or not. And I think for me, that's a, that's something I've learned over the years of like, you know, whenever I approach, whenever I'm going to criticize anyone about anything, it's, you know, hopefully surrounded by this idea that, you know, I could be completely wrong about what I'm about to say, you know, and even if you want to tell that to someone, it goes a long way because it opens up the conversation for dialogue. You know, it's no longer like a firing, you know, a dart or an arrow at someone. It's more like, hey, I could be completely wrong and you may have wanted the low end to be distorted on this song, but I'm hearing, you know, some low end breakup 
and I think that could work for the song, but based on this reference that you sent me, you know, that's not really happening. So I always say, like, can you help me understand, you know, what you'd like to do? And so it's always that. It's always creating and being proactive of, like, what is going to move us one step closer as opposed to moving us one step backwards or even worse, like, no movement. I don't like no movement. I don't like no movement. Is that a good sentence? (laughs) One of, one of my most, like, my biggest pet peeves in the world, and it just happened to me uh, the other day at a uh, at Nordstrom. My wife and I went to customer service to check on some shoes that she was having repaired. And we went to customer service, and my wife was like, hey, can you, can we, um, can you help us figure out where my shoes are? You know, did they get sent off or are they repaired in-house? And the girl's literally like, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> and that was her response. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's fine. But now, like, that doesn't do anything. So what does that mean for us? You know, okay, you don't We're know anything. We're still in the same situation. I'm still staring at you. You're customer service. So it's like, <laughs> this to me is your one only job to kind of know at least where to point us. You know, if yeah. it's not you, who is it? Don't just respond. I literally don't know anything about this. And it's stuff like that where I'm like, okay, I get it. Okay, you don't know anything about this. Fine, but now mm-hmm. what? You know, like, where do we go? Do you, mm-hmm. do we go to the first floor, third floor? Do I need to call someone? And that I think is like the biggest thing that you can, you know, if you want to be good at taking criticism and giving it, you have to always be thinking from a standpoint of what will move us closer to the end goal. And mm-hmm. you know, if this didn't work, then what can we try that might work or might get us closer? And I think that's the big thing is like when also like within trying to tell people like I may be wrong about this, whenever I get criticism and my like defense really goes off, like in my head, I always ask myself, like, is there any truth in what they're saying? Like, is there yeah. any truth at all in the statement they're saying? Even if like the majority of what they're saying is completely wrong, and this is kind of the like the wisdom discerning you get over the years of having lots of projects and situations is like, you know, we're getting hired because we're the experts, so we know what's going on. Hopefully, most of the times, mm-hmm. and so pe- we can't hold it against someone if they don't know how to communicate properly. So, like someone may say, like, "Hey, this feels pumpy." Can you change this? Well, in my mind, I know what pumpy means and what that's happening. They don't. At least I know where the first place I would look. Like yeah, that. and they may not know what that even means. So you know, we, yeah, I'll ask some follow up <clears throat> questions, but I don't hold that against them anymore. Where if they're like, "Can you change the kick drum? It feels pumpy." I may go, "Sure," and address the pumpy issue, but I know it's not the kick drum. That's doing mm-hmm. that. You know, maybe it's a tax setting or a release setting. Could be or, triggering it. Yeah, it could be. But that's, I think that's what I'm saying is like there's sometimes where, like, when I would first start, I'd be like, no, they're so wrong. It's not the kick drum. And I'd fire back, like, <laughs> kick drum's not causing that. <laughs> you know, you're stupid. Like, you know, essentially that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like the kick drum's not doing that. You don't know anything about this. And like, that doesn't do anything, you know? So it's like, okay. I hear the issue they're bringing up or what they think they're hearing. And so I'm going to use my wisdom and discernment. And sometimes I will not address the kick drum, I'll address a different setting and then send it back. And like, oh, that's great. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I know I said earlier, like, do whatever they say, but you, I'm saying this example because we don't have the right to hold that against them because they don't understand, you know, attack and release settings on a mastering compressor or sidechain mm-hmm. filtering. Like, we're getting hired for that, and so it's our responsibility to not discredit them. And that's one of the biggest things is like sometimes I'll get you know criticism given to me on something or you know mixed revisions. And if I feel defensive, it's like, you know what, I can't hold this against them. If they're hearing something, then I need to change something. Like that's as simple yep. as it is. It's not a big deal. It's not an attack once again. And it's all about like, once again, they hired you to do a job. And so if they want me to change something, I will change it so they can at least hear it. And we can at least say, yeah, that's better, closer to our end goal, or no, it's not. So 
that's to me like always approaching both sides, giving it and taking it with criticism is like, I could be wrong here. And then on the other side, it's, is there any truth in what they're saying? And usually there is. So if you apply those two things, you're always kind of moving forward. And that's how you kind of make revisions in a, in a harmonious way, I'd say. And it's a Just lot better that want. way. <laughs> yeah. So it was their vision before it was on your desk. So exactly. That's a great way of saying it. Yep. That's great. So that's kind of how I feel like those are my thoughts on how you give criticism. Um, and then criticism also, we have a point here of like, it's here to help you and you need to put your pride aside and learn. So and the main word there though is pride and it's yes. it's it's such a weird thing and it comes in so many forms because you'll see these guys that are like oh well I have this specific tone and stuff like that and it's like that's why people come to me it's like no that's actually pride and you just need to do your job and make this the best you can and stop worrying about putting your tone on things. Right. Because it's like, that's a pride thing. Yeah. And you should be proud if you've done a lot. Right. But in general, it's just be a humble person and, like, stop doing that, especially if it's, like, if that's causing, like, the problem. Right. So, but yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Some criticism, Some criticism is there to help you. Yeah. And you need to just put your pride aside and, like, allow the process to teach you something as, as much Absolutely. as it might suck while you're in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, like all the criticism I've gotten over the years has helped me. I can't deny that it hasn't helped me become better at what I do because mm-hmm. over time you start like, for me, I started to see patterns of like, Oh, you know, when I first started, I had a, I had a really hard time like with mixing when I first started mixing like vocal levels. And I think people struggle with that you know, you kind of get more confident in it because you've done it so many times, you know where it needs to sit. Mm-hmm. But one of the biggest things like I notice in mixes that are sent to me, it's like, oh, the vocal really falls out there or there it's too loud. You know, and it's part of what I do is, you know, what we do is hopefully kind of glue that all in, in doing different tricks and things. But I feel like when I was mixing a lot more early on before I was heavily just mastering for the most mm-hmm. part, like, a lot of criticism would come back on my mixes like, oh, the vocals don't feel bright enough. Oh, the vocals don't feel bright enough. And after like the 10th person that year, you're like, okay, I think I need to brighten the vocals. Like <laughs> people like the vocals more upfront and bright than I do. Yeah. And then when I started doing that, you know, then I stopped getting that. People like really upfront, bright things for pop and things like that. And what I thought was bright wasn't what my client thought was bright or most of my clients. And so that, like, to me, the criticism over the years has brought awareness to things, once again, things that may be true in my process that I'm overlooking or that I'm not Mm -hmm. aware of. And that's one of the things I like about criticism when I get it or feedback is it's like, you know, is this something that I actually have a blind spot to or I'm too close to the song or I've been doing it one way for too long now that I've neglected this Part, you know, and I like when people give me feedback and things because it helps me refine my process, my workflow, everything I do. Every time I get feedback criticism, it's always like I think it helps me. And once again, that's a mindset shift of like, this is here to help me. There's always something to learn here. And when you get that criticism and stuff, like, you just have to accept it as like, you know, as a as a time to learn and grow, and if you're resistant to that, um, then you're never you won't grow, and you'll essentially die. Like your business won't go anywhere. Your clients probably won't come back to you. They won't recommend you, and you as a person probably won't get better <laughs> at your craft because if you never take criticism from anybody, like you're only listening to yourself over and over again, and that's. I think that's just kind of boring too. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's kind if of, you're not willing to learn from it, yeah, like narcissistic of like you only want to do what you want to do. So, um, 
that's how I feel or that's what I think about, you know, criticism being there to help you. And it's always great to put your pride in check, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think everyone can, can benefit from less pride. Um, and to me, like my pride is always, you know, linked directly to, I need to be right, you know, and if I'm not right, then I'm worthless. Like that's what my pride is attached to. And so that's something that like I work on of like knowing that my work and things I do and my accomplishments, like those don't define me anymore as like my identity and that I can't have my work be attached so closely to me as a human, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, keep your pride in check and criticism helps with that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of where my pride lies and I think it's most (laughs) not dormant when... (laughs) I believe that I'm right and I refuse to give up on that. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it's like a thing that like I just go out of my way to make sure that the other person knows that they are not right. Yeah. I don't know. And it's like I've been trying to keep myself in check with that more and more and more. Um and to a degree I've gotten better, but yeah. it's like it's like Matt just shut up and just like we're not right and it's kind of like how do we get out of this gracefully it's like it doesn't need to be graceful it's just you're wrong exactly just just shut up and learn on how to not get into this situation again yeah and and that's really that and it's like just just take it as criticism and sometimes it's like you get like constructive criticism and it's hard to like take it as constructive and be like you're like pushing back against it and it's like but this wasn't this wasn't a rhetorical thing this is just like me telling you hey this is like not how it should be yeah. you need to change this yeah. i'm paying you yeah. and it's like i never argue with clients it's just like if you want something as a client then you get it but it's like in my head it's like there's this thing that goes on it's like matt shut up shut up <laughs> stop stop making this more than it needs to be yeah. and but you get hung up on that right so but <clears throat> some criticism is like out there from people specifically to hurt you. Yeah. And I have a note that I that's that's explicit after this that I can't say on the air. Um so censoring that uh screw those people. Um <laughs> yeah, you need to learn to navigate that junk, weed through it, like put on some freaking waders, get through it. And learn from it and move on. Yeah. Um, some of the best leadership lessons I ever had in my entire life were from the world's worst leaders. And I don't really know how much I've learned from good leaders, um, mainly because uh, a good leader has never taught me as much about a bad leader. Maybe because I just haven't been motivated enough to be like, yeah, I want to learn that. Mm-hmm. But it's like... Anytime I see bad bad leadership, it's like, man, I'm not going to do that. It's kind of like when you see, like, a parent with, like, reckless kids at the mall or something like that. And you're like, I'm not going to be a parent like that. Right. And it's like, you have no idea what she's going through. She right. could be an awesome parent but just having, like, really crappy day. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, some people, like, are out there to, like, say you suck and to right. say that you should quit what you do and why the hell are you even doing this? You just, like, took my money and, like, you just gave me back a pile of junk. And it's like, you can't help that. Right. And it's like, you can try to work with that as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you really just have to let that roll on. Yeah. And, I mean, you may have to refund a project. You may have to do whatever. Or maybe you don't refund the project and be like, listen, I've done, like, ten revisions for you. And, like, you keep on coming back yeah it's like i don't know what to do in that situation yeah but i mean in general like people who are like haters and stuff like that it's like it just is what it is and it's like if they put half that energy that they put being a douchebag into bettering themselves they probably wouldn't be sitting around on the internet like being a troll right so i don't know i'm, I'm pre- i feel pretty strong about like <laughs> i will say it fuck haters <laughs> I do feel pretty strong about that there's totally gonna be an explicit sign next to this podcast yeah. Um, but yeah, forget those people and I really don't understand it. I don't know if it's like jealousy or 
Yeah, I don't know. I've I've never done it, and I've never really been jealous of somebody else. It's like if I want to do it, then I'll just get there and I'll just do it myself. Yeah, I don't understand people are like, oh man, I wish I could do this. It's like, well, you can do that. Just get off your ass and just just do it. Right. <laughs> like life is so awesome because if you want to do something, you can literally just do it. Right. I mean, there's like a very small list of things you probably can't do. I mean, so just get off your butt and do it. <laughs> Screw those people. Yeah, I mean, my, like, whenever I've had, I'll say, a hater, it's always stemming from, an, like, a hurt from them, usually. Something that has nothing to do with the project or even me. That's a cool perspective. It's always been, like, there's been, like, three projects where I'll say it was, like, full-blown hate. <laughs> And it was like, it's always so weird because it feels, it feels like hate. You know, it feels, I think it feels different. This is the discernment thing that I guess maybe you learn, but I feel like as humans, we have a really good um, radar of like, this feels a little strange. Like this feels a little beyond like the snare feels thin, you know, like <laughs> this feels like uh, there's something else deeper happening that I don't know about. Yeah. One of my, one of my first label projects I did, I ran into a situation like this where um, I wouldn't be delicate how I say this publicly. Basically, Someone on the project was lying about what they were doing and taking credit for some of my work and other people's work mm. to the label as a producer. And um, essentially, it started to feel weird and there started to be this weird criticism, hate on um, the work me and my other buddy and a couple other guys who were on the project's doing from this producer. And it started to get really weird and it was just a situation where basically when it came down to it, the producer that was hired was super insecure about his work and he wanted this project to be like his baby, but it ended up being like all our babies. And then what ended mm. up happening is like the artist initially didn't love this producer's work, so then we made adjustments, gave it back to the producer, the producer turned it in, the artist liked it, and the artist thought the producer did all the adjustments and things. And so the producer then took credit for it. But it just became this, like, I can't say much more, because I just don't want it to be more public than that. Yeah. I want to keep it all vague. But what I'm trying to say is, like, I knew within, like, the second conversation that something was weird where it was like, this is a different situation. Like, you're not letting me talk to the artist direct. You won't let me talk to the label direct. I have to go through you because of why? I don't know. Like, it was just like things started to not add up, and then, yeah. like, criticism started to happen, and then when crap hit the fan, when they figured out, like, label, well, what happened is I talked to the artist and I said thanks so much for letting me be a part of this and do this, this, and this on the album. And the artist was like, wait, what are you talking about? What? And I was like, I did all that. And they're like, no, I thought this guy did all that. He said he did all that. And I was like, no, what? that's not what happened. So then crap hit the fan, and then it was this big debacle where the producer guy like then you know, called me, cursing me out, and like, a whole hour of him just ripping me a new one for, because he got caught, you know, in security, like got caught in a but lie. But it's like you did nothing wrong. No, no one. It was a team. You blew like, his cover. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, I accidentally it. blew his cover. I didn't mean to do it. I was just thanking the artist. <laughs> like, because yeah. I thought that would be nice. Cause, You're a grateful human. Yeah, I mean that's and that's kind of like the universe. That's karma. I don't know if you want to believe in karma or not, but like. So if you want to lie to your client, don't hire Sam because he's a grateful guy. Yeah, because I'll tell the artist, thanks for. And it was a big deal because it was one of my first label <laughs> projects. So I was just super like, hey, thanks for even like giving me the opportunity to do these things. And then it was like, what are you That's talking so about? Crazy. Yeah. 
So I can't get over this. It's even crazier, but I can't really talk about it more than that. I get it. More specific. But it was it was one of those moments where like me and my other buddy who owned the studio, we were quickly like, this feels different. This feels weird. This isn't like this isn't like I said, this isn't like change the snare drum. This is like an emotional, personal hurt, insecurity thing happening. And so now we need to figure out how we're gonna navigate that. And mm. for us, what we did with that one was like we just kept our head down and kept going. You know, it was like, I don't know, we need to get through this project, get it wrapped, get it done. But I look at it now and in like a couple of the other situations where I've had I had <laughs> I had a mix I did a few years ago for a client and uh they called me and they were like, I was really excited about it. I turned it and I was like, I think this is really good. And then they called me and they were like, I literally can't listen to it. <laughs> That's what they told me. What? He was like, I can't even make it through the first minute. It's so wrong. And I was like, whoa. Okay. That's like, how they started it off? Yeah, that was the, how the phone call went. Whoa. So I was like, all right, there's a nice... You know, there goes my pride. There's a humble piece of pie right there. Yikes. And, you know, the more we investigated it or I investigated it, asked questions like, okay, okay, you know, I can start over, I guess. You know, I learned that, you know, the the tracking of the project wasn't what he wanted. And he didn't, you know, the vocal takes he never liked. And, you know, it was all these other things that then got pawned off to me, you know, without me knowing and that and you were mastering or mixing No, I was it? mixing this. And so, okay. you know, the things he wanted to fix, I was like, well, that needs to be re-recorded. Like, you need to yeah. change that. Oh, you didn't use the drummer you wanted and you got the wrong drum groove like I don't know what to do, but he hadn't like the people he had been working with before like had just been taking advantage of him with studio time mm. and things like that, and so he was carrying all this like hurt into me. And then when I delivered what I thought was good, you know, he felt like, oh, this is a good time to unleash, you know, which is what as humans, like we often do that, you know, like if I get in a fight with my wife, it's usually, you know, it's never about the thing. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's about something else that happened, you know, or something that I've been stewing on or, you know, and it's stuff like, to me, that's what I feel when I my radar goes off of like, oh, this feels different. Mm-hmm. Then I move into like different sorts of questions to ask them. Like it, it really becomes more of like a, you know, we've talked about this before. Like we're basically therapists, you know, it, I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the time. And I become then someone who's like, well, let me put myself in their shoes. They're obviously hurt. There's an insecurity. Something poor happened to them in this process. And so I need to be respectful of that. The only way we're going to move forward is if I let them be heard, you know, and then I can decide if I want to stay in this project and let them, you know, if I'm still a punching bag, I'll just back out, which is never, I've never, um, a project has never gotten there where I'm like, I got to get out of this project. I've never had really that. no, but good. It, it's yeah. I think that's the thing is like people are mean because they're hurt or there's something in them that they haven't dealt with. It's an unresolved something, and hmm. that to me is what I view the few times you know of me doing this is like when it gets to that part where it feels like a hater or something. If you look just below the surface or what's surrounding them, usually you can you can find something where you're like, oh, that makes sense. You were doing this in this band and you just got kicked out and now you're mad at me because I just happen to be the next person you ran into. Like, you yeah. know, it's stuff like that to me where I've found, you know, that's where the hate comes from. That's where the haters come from. That's where like the harsh criticism. Um you know, I've been in a couple situations where, like, I'm mastering something, and then someone, you know, will come back and be like, "We went with this other person," and like, it. Mm, I'm gonna take that part out because that was about to be a story I can't tell. Um, so, real quick, yes. if you can talk about it, just because I'm super curious, and I don't know, it might 
this might go to help someone who may be in this situation or if someone's in this situation like now or whatever. Um, without getting into too many specifics, how did those two situations resolve themselves? So like the first guy claiming like not wanting you to talk to the artist and claiming weird stuff about the mastering or whatever you were doing about it. Like how did how did that resolve itself? Like what did you do to like like did you just dump the project and like like what would you do in that situation? Well, with this project, the project got done, you know, and then I think this the is artist, the first one. Yeah, the first one. So the project was completely wrapped, like done, coming out. Uh, then I thank the artist, you know, for allowing me to do these things that I thought the artist was aware that I was doing, but the producer was taking credit for. So in that situation, it was like now the artist is frustrated, the label's confused, who's getting credit? Yeah. It got even more sticky because it's like they wanted alternate version, you know, TV mix, you know, a remix, something to send to somebody else. And I had all the files with all the adjustments, you know, (laughs) because I'd been the one doing the work. So then it was just this big, like, tangled knot that had to be undone. And in this situation, what happened is, like, basically, I mean, it, it allowed me to keep working with the client. And unfortunately, that producer ended up actually leaving town. Um, Hmm. Because it was just such a bad look, like it was just really rough. Um, I'd be curious if the label gave you codes to embed, or if they were your own ones that like ISRC tracks back to you. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious about that. Yeah, <laughs> because that's something you really can't. Like he doesn't have those, right? Yeah, and I mean, not like you're gonna go like digging and like figuring this out, but it's just like. You, if they are yours, then you do have a fingerprint there. Right, absolutely, yeah. So in that situation, it just was like this big mess, and then there was like a whole week of clarifying who did what, who gets what credit, who needs to be compensated. They pay, ended up paying me more money, which was awesome. Oh, wow. Um, the artists did themselves. And then after that, I've worked with the artists on the next two albums they've done. So it came, I mean, it worked in my favor, you know, to being honest and just doing my job once again. It was like I was hired to do something, mm-hmm. so I did it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, to me, it's all about asking questions to people. You know, like that should always be the response to like questions because there's always more under the surface when it comes to criticism and hatred. You know, and at the end of the day, we're working in an industry where a lot of people are. They do have their identity tied up in their work. And so anytime that does get poked, our immediate reaction as humans is defense, like survival mode. Yeah. And so, the, I mean, I just handle it in the way we've been talking about. Like, from whenever something kind of trips me up or, like, my radar goes off, I just always ask them more questions like, you know, what's going on here? Why are we doing this? Is everything our... I mean, I've literally asked people, like, is everything okay? Like... <laughs> You know, because yeah. sometimes a project will be going really well, and then you know, revision two, all of a sudden, everything's bad. Like, yeah, I mean, I was just talking to you about an album where like the guy signed off, said it was good, you know, got turned in, and then two days later, the guy's like, "I think we need to change every vocal level." You know, after yeah. saying like it was wrapped and good, and so then the question is like, well, where did this come from? You know, yeah. is this you? Is this a label? Is this an artist? Is this an insecurity? Is this your first time? Like, you know, it's all these questions that are things you can ask people to really figure out what's the root, you know, issue here. Because you know, two days ago it was dip, it was good. Everybody was stoked. I was stoked. It was, it was done. Yeah. You know, and then two days later, you know, the whole album needs redone essentially in new mixes. Yeah. So that to me is like that's my best advice to people is like. Ask the questions, um, and and just know like there's always just so much more going on beyond you know the music, and trying to be respectful of that is the best way to approach it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I responded to you uh, with a with a quote that I had heard that eventually music is like like the project eventually needs to be released and right. Like, you need to stop dwelling on it, and, like, once you do that, and once you sign off on it, and once it's out there, like, it no longer belongs to you. Absolutely. And it's just, like, 
I don't know. But like in, in, in some respect as well, and I'm not saying this from a quality standpoint, um, I mean, new content to a degree is better than perfect content. Absolutely. And I, I, I see that with a lot of bands in town here that it's like, let's just like try to release as much as we can. And it's like, eh, you should probably do a little bit better of a job than that. Yeah. But it's like there's so much new content that's coming out. It's like, it's almost like people just can't keep up with it. So if anyone's on the fence about moving to Charleston, there's work here too. <laughs> um, not mastering work, but you know, other work. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, eventually that stuff has to be released to the world. And right. once it is, it's no longer yours. Right. And I mean, you can you can always like recapitalize on it and refinance or not refinance it. <laughs> you can remaster it right. and re-release it. And right. How do remasters work with normalization? Because normally when you remaster it, people just like like make it shinier and then louder. Yeah. I wonder how that works with normalization. I don't know. I, I, don't I would know. assume it would just lower it back down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to where everything else was. How unexciting. I know. That's a whole different topic. That is. That's a podcast we've had and a podcast we're probably going to have in the future yeah. again. So, so the final point we had was yeah. learn to stop caring about what other people think. Not everyone you run into is going to like what you are doing. And that's Okay. What do you think? 100%. What do you think, Matt? Is that true? 100%. I mean, a lot of this is going to be like 90% of it or 95 or 99% of it's going to be you in your own head. Yeah. Giving yourself criticism about, oh, well, this kind of sounds like junk or this doesn't sound good. The artist won't like this. The artist won't like that. They're not even asking the artist. The artist hasn't even heard what you're working on. You are currently the only person in the world, if you're a mastering engineer, who knows what this sounds like currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so quit beating yourself up over stupid crap. Right. And if someone is saying something that like, oh, what the hell are you doing? It's like, or you have like a friend, it's like, oh, you went into you went into music because whatever you went to college for didn't work out. It's like, Screw you. It's like, I'm having more fun than you are. Yeah. And I'm making money while doing it. And I'm really enjoying my life. How's that desk job working for you? So it's like, screw them. It's like, everyone has their own life. I just say, live yours. You only have one. Do what you want to do. Yellow. And I mean, make a community in it. And if... I mean, that's how you know if you really like your job, you'll you'll make a community in it. Yeah. I really like this job, so I connected with Sam, and we're trying to connect with y'all to create a bit of a community, so this big old world seems a little less daunting. Right. So, and, I mean, uh, there, was a, there was a friend of mine who was a uh, Christian preacher, and he went over to a uh, predominantly Muslim community, and him and a I don't know what like the head of a um like a like the head of a mosque is called. It might be an imam, I'm not sure. But they were just like I think sitting down in like a library or something in this foreign country. And they realized that once they got past their like what they believed and they started talking like about like some differences that like the people in their congregation had, they're like, Wow, we're really not so different. Right. Like, you're you're dealing with like struggling and divorce, and you're dealing with um, this other type of uh, person who has a marital problem with this going on, and this person's having problem with money, and you're having a hard time keeping the doors open because you're struggling with people coming in and uh, losing sight of faith. So it's like as soon as you get past like all the like the the stuff that people believed mm-hmm. or that that their religions believed. They're like, wow, we're really just like the same people. Right. <laughs> we speak like not really the same language, and the same language we do speak isn't really, it's all broken up and crappy and stuff like that. But it's like, in general, I do believe that people want community as abrasive as some people right. may be. Right. And you just need to realize that they just might be hurting. Yeah. And that's why, uh, they lash out in terms of criticism, in terms Absolutely. of like a pride-induced rant or something right. like that. So it's always good to give somebody 
a second chance or just to, as you said earlier, Sam, just to uh, to step back from the situation whenever, if you get a uh, batch of revisions or something that really catches you off guard to a project that you thought was like, yeah, this is wrapped, this is good, let's let's go. I mean, this this one this one is good to go. I mean, I deliver every single project like this is freaking awesome. Right. Let's like like this is sounding great. Like yep. this is ready to go. Yeah. And some people are like, eh, pump the brakes here. And it's like, it's good, like you said, just to take a step back, come back to it in like a couple minutes, an hour, whatever you want to do, yeah. and just reread it and hear out what they're saying. Right. And realize that you the they are your client. And um, sure, go ahead and make those changes. Or make, if like the kick drum doesn't need brought up, but... The compressor needs eased off a little bit, so be it doesn't hit the compressor as hard, or or the kick drum doesn't hit the compressor as hard. Then, I mean, any way will really will work. Right. So it's just there are many ways to fix the problem, and so I don't know. That's kind of what I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, if you can stop caring about what other people think about you. Then I found that my whole life become has become more open and free because you don't have to carry that constant like tape in your head that's like, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? What are they thinking? <laughs> and that's an exhausting thing. And I used to really struggle with, you know, similar, I mean, a lot of people struggle with this. Like when you send off something, you know, that immediate gut feeling of, oh my gosh, I hope they like it. What maybe this sucks. Yeah. Like and I've found like all the things that in my head I feel that they could pick apart where if I send something off and then I'm like, oh the you know, the guitars are too loud. They're definitely too loud. That's gonna be oh yeah, guitars too loud. And then their feedback is like, guitars are perfect. Can we look at the bass? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> Bass, bass is perfect. <laughs> Guitars are bad. Like, you know, I've like. Are you ne- even using your ears? Yeah, I've like never been correct in my future predictions. You know, of like what I think <laughs> they're gonna notice, or the things I'm so concerned about of them gonna like. Oh, they're probably gonna think this, or they're gonna do that, or they're gonna compare it to this, and it's like I've never been right in that like prediction mindset. So eventually I just gave it up of like when I send something now, I just go, well, I did the best I can for this time and what I got to work with. And then if they give me some feedback, then great. Then we fix it or, you know, adjust it. To a degree, you can predict (laughs) it though, or you can like try to figure out how to counter. It's like, okay, I know this person, this producer is a bass player. The bass has to sound badass. (laughs) Because you know, if they recorded it, it's going to sound badass. So it's like, this has to sound insane. Or if they're like, if they do like a lot of work on the keys, it's like, this stuff has to shine. Right. (laughs) Or if they're a drummer, it's like, man, that snare and kick, it's got to be like a freaking heartbeat. Right. Heartbeat of the song. Yeah, you can somewhat mitigate it if you know, like, if you're playing to your audience. Definitely, but yeah, in general, make sure your master doesn't sound like junk, and you should be fine. Right, that's the solution. (laughs) Make it not sound like junk. Make it not sound like junk. So that's. I mean, I think I'll always care somewhat about what people think, you know. But I have a yeah. I have a, um, I'll say a healthy way to deal with it now in a way to kind mm-hmm. of have a little bit of distance between me. There's like now me, some space, and my work. And for a long time, it was like my work and me were so intertwined that every little critique felt like a knife, you know, going into me. And yeah. now it's a lot like, oh, you know, none of the knives touch me because there's some space there. Like I see them yeah, and I'm like, okay, you know. Not today, knives. Yeah, not today, knives. You won't touch me today. <laughs> but that's kind of, you know, my visual of like, you know, that's fine. It's not hurting me. And I can just like push those knives back out. <laughs> I don't know. Ugh. 
fucking weird. So on that note, you'll never forget that image, you know. So you're yeah. welcome. That's ending a- like uh, Jeremy Clarkson from Top Gear <laughs> on that bombshell. On that bombshell. I loved that show. I miss it. Yep. Good show. It's so good. The Grand Tour is not the same. I like it, but it's not the same. Yeah. Anyway, anyway on that bombshell. Criticism. It sucks. <laughs> it can suck, but <laughs> Get it over also it. can be the answer to your problem. You can be your best friend. Make it your best friend. And you'll be fine. Got anything else for the people, Sam? I think that's it. I don't have anything else to say. I can't think of anything else. You can't think of one other thing to say? There's no other phrases that come to mind on how to end No this. other phrases about in regards to like the time of day or it's someone a- having a good day? or. I hope everyone just has the best afternoon. <laughs> if you're having a morning... Just have that morning. Just it's your morning. Your morning. <laughs> have the hell out of that morning. No, I can't. I think, I mean, if you have anything you want to say. Cue the music, Sam. Cueing. <laughs> Are we really not going to say it? Uh, have a good I one. forgot it. Now, that must have been it. Have a good one. Morning, afternoon, or evening. <laughs> Whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. There it is. Now I'm cueing the music. Cue the music, Sam. Cue it. See y'all.